0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the third place podcast. Today, Mary and I are going to talk about one of everyone's favorite topics conflict. (laughs) Uh, No, seriously, Mary and I do a lot of team coaching for people opening coffee shops and helping their team culture to webinars and from leading our own teams. And it is one of the topics we enjoy talking about, not because we love conflict, but because Every relationship has it. And when you can do conflict well, when you can meet in that messy gray middle space, bringing in both perspectives, then it can really lead to new depths of relationship, which is such a beautiful gift. So with that, let's dive right in and welcome to the third place.
1: We welcome you to explore the third place with us.
0: It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, and and engaging dialogue.
1: You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations.
0: Thank you for listening.
1: We invite you in to the third place.
0: So one of the first conversations that you and I ever had is about conflict. I was managing the Laterza team and we weren't really even having conflict, but we were just trying to figure out like what conflict policies looked like. You were managing your your team um in Colorado and yeah, you and I just got connected and we were talking about what you did really well, what I did really well, and just some different perspectives. And I think... That was really the beginning of, for us, a a friendship, just in collaborating and and kind of having a lot of shared values. And for me, the the biggest takeaway at the very beginning was just this idea that conflict is always perceived as something that's bad. But I really just at the core believe it's something that's really good and healthy.
1: Yeah, I think that we both were like laughing that we felt like we were weird because we welcomed conflict. I think (laughs) I used to even say like, oh yeah, like I don't shy away from conflict, which now looking back is one of the core foundations of, of this, the third place. Right. But I also think that maybe that conversation around conflict being an opportunity has become a little bit more of a shared perspective. So yeah, let's talk about like how we approach conflict.
0: Right. Well, I just remember the first time for me growing up, the first time that I heard it being used what in what I thought was an inappropriate way was in the early '90s, uh, and we were at war with Iraq, and all the media outlets kept kept calling it the Iraqi conflict, the Iraqi conflict, and and I can remember going back then to say, now wait a minute. To me, conflict means that when you you know are in a disagreement with someone. Conflict means that you're working through it. And then on the other end of it, conflict usually means that it's your relationship is healthier, right? Like when you do the hard work, it's not that it's fun. It's not that you are looking forward to conflict. But when you do the hard work to find out the root cause of the conflict, then it only means that relationships are healthier on the other side. And so when they use it in this context of war, I was like, no, wait, there is no dialogue going on here. You don't like each other. And, and so therefore there is no conflict. Uh, it is fighting. And I think that we use those two words interchangeably, but to me, they're radically different from one another. cool.
1: Well, I've never actually heard you say that story or that context before. So that was all new for me. My experience, I think I've shared this with you, but maybe not the listeners is that I grew up in a really large family. So as one of five, anytime we would have conflict or fighting, right, whichever it may be between a sibling and another sibling, they would come up during what we had as family meetings. So I had basically like from what I remember was weekly family meetings and we would actually hash out our conflict right then and there. So I, you know, I can vividly remember being like eight years old sitting around a table with seven people and talking about how I had tattletaled or (laughs) (laughs) Johnny had hit David and um, we would like process and go through the conflict together. And, and the feeling that I had afterwards, there was a lot of buildup. I remember the anxiety and the buildup for those conversations because it was usually airing grievances or airing those, those challenges that we were experiencing as siblings or as a family. But I also do remember the like feeling of release and deeper connection afterwards. So a part of me thinks that that's why I have such a draw to it is because of like what you said afterwards, that feeling of a depth of relationship by recognizing that you could get through something together and you were still safe, essentially.
0: Yeah. And I liked the word that you used, uh, opportunity. For the third place, the values that we really gravitate towards are having a posture of humility, a posture of curiosity, and then offering a generous perspective. Those kind of inherently create this opportunity where we get to learn from one another. So you and I might come together with different views, and opinions. But those three postures collectively allow for this healthy space to learn from one another. And so when we put it in the context of conflict, it truly is an opportunity. Um, it's an opportunity to learn about things that I could do better. It's a, an opportunity to learn. Um, usually a, a conflict, it's, it's like an onion. It's how do we find the root cause? And it's usually the thing that we're fighting over is not necessarily the thing on the outside, but it, that usually goes a little bit deeper. And, you know, and it's it's in all relationships, not just one-on-one, but, you know, we, when we were starting about it, it was with the context of a team, you know, and maybe one of the things that prompted that initial conversation was I remember reading an article in like the Harvard Business Review about how conflict was really healthy for a team culture.
1: Yeah, it is really healthy from my experience. And I remember, especially in a management role, um, we were just talking about how we really had to hold the space for those because there's opportunities every single day. If conflict is an opportunity, then there was opportunities frequently. So we started to talk about, if you recall, uh, what we did or how we approached it, like some actual tangible things like, well, what do you do? Because... Regardless, there is going to be an element of tension and fear um, and uncertainty. So how do you create a container for something that is so rattling?
0: Yeah, so definitely that that's what I love. That idea is the first this foundation, that conflict is good. So when you find yourself in the middle of it, because it's not if, it is definitely when. Um, in any relationship, in any team, it's going to happen. So when it happens and when you find yourself there to like ground into, okay, this is good. This is an opportunity is a great place to start. But I definitely have learned some rules um that I think are really have been really helpful in my personal relationships and professional relationships. Um so one of my favorite rules that I know that I have done, I learned this in premarital counseling was uh, something called the 24-hour rule. So, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about in the past on previous episodes about different types of personality styles, uh, different processing styles. Um, and this 24-hour rule speaks to two different types of people. In handling conflict, one reaction can often be someone that just bottles it up. Like, they have a conflict – they don't want to talk about it. They want to avoid the conflict. And so it just gets stuffed inside. And another personality type when they are uh, dealing with conflict tends to be a little bit more on the emotional side of a personality and conflict is immediately addressed. Like you just said this thing and it made me really mad. Um This 24 hour rule really is designed to speak to both. So for the person that tends to bottle things up, if something is still bothering you in 24 hours, that's an indication of a conflict that should be brought to light. Like you're kind of not allowed to let things fester beyond 24 hours. If something's bothering you, then you should say it. But it also speaks to the other person. Um, This is a general statement, but like typically the masculine Dynamic of a relationship might be a little bit more in that bottling up category. The feminine might be a little bit more in the um bring everything to light right away category. For our counselor, he tended to be uh in his marriage, the roles were reversed where he was a little bit more, I want to bring things up right away. And his wife was more about the bottling up. So for him, he had to realize that the 24 hour rule, it forced him to keep things kind of under wraps for that 24-hour period. And what he found over time was that there were a lot of things that might happen to him in the moment that would make him upset that he would typically bring to light right away. 24 hours later, he'd kind of forget about what they were. So if if he still is remembering 24 hours later, then that is an indicator of like, okay, that bothered me and it's still bothering me. So that is something worth bringing up.
1: Yeah, what I can appreciate about the pause that I feel like is being inspired in the 24-hour rule. Two things, your nervous system can calm and maybe you can recognize what's happening with your own experience that may or may not be the other person's to own. And two, you can recognize themes um, and then act on themes rather than act on instances And that's something that I think is really, really important with conflict in general is to be able to look at things as themes and patterns and to, like, take data. And it can be hard to, as we've talked about in a lot of our episodes, can be hard to take data when you're in emotional prefrontal cortex space, right? Right. So uh, that can inhibit how productive conflict resolution is. Or not. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, hearing you say that out loud. Right, yeah. I'm reminded immediately of the anger, hot brain being 30,000 times more powerful than the logic right. brain. So when you have a conflict and you're forced to wait for this 24 hour period, it a lot of it can even help you put words and language together that are in that less emotional space. Like you might realize, um, hey, this thing I know is going to bother me 24 hours from now it still is worth waiting 24 hours to bring it up so that you can have the capacity to kind of let that mind settle some and, and put better language around it. And and like you said, there probably are some themes that might develop over time too, to also help with language.
1: Yeah. And also to play devil's advocate here a little bit too, about like urgency, because I'm definitely the urgent type that wants to address it. You know, I think about like a good example is like when your pet pees on the floor a day later, do you shame them for peeing on the floor? Right. No. And not saying that conflict is a, is a shaming process at all, but I think it can feel like that. I think it's also important to address things when they are closer to, because the mind, you know, can be forgetful. So therefore there's a little bit of like training to be able to know a cause and effect as well. So I think that in deciphering like, okay, okay, when do I give it space, and when do I act on it? Maybe it's more about safety a little bit. Is this right. it, being able to understand a sense of of urgency when I think about as a parent or as a manager with others? If I knew that I wasn't going to be able to um, address something that was a matter of safety for themselves or other, then I would need to do it sort of immediately. And if that wasn't the case, then I would gain information and data and then look at it more as a pattern perspective and make sure I was coming from that grounded, a little bit more resource or scripted place.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things for me come to mind right away is as time has passed where I've been kind of living by this rule like this, um, I've been able to hear within me, Um, like, ooh, I know that this is going to upset me in 24 hours. Mm. But because it's become a practice, I've been able to immediately identify like, ooh, I know that this is going to be bothering me. So it's, it's given me the language to be able to say, Hey, time out. I know that I want to talk about this more tomorrow, but I still am like, let me think about this. Let me think why this was something that made me upset. And so there is this like brand new. Awareness about it. Um, and just real quick, I also did want to call out that you said something about safety, especially like in a team context. And as we are more and more including emotional safety, I think when safety is involved with a team, both physical and emotional, I think that that can kind of be exceptions to this rule, too, um, when someone is, is hurt right away. We have to be able to call out behavior that caused that, but it's almost like you're a little bit more of a third party perspective. You're not necessarily in the middle of a conflict where you can call out safety and not get into your emotional hot brain right so quickly.
1: Yeah. I love that. I feel like what we're saying when it comes to the 24 hour rule or anything else thus far is that it's a process of self-awareness and more than it is like, an External, this thing is happening to me and I will respond from that place. And instead it's like, okay, this thing is happening for me. Here's the opportunity that I'm posed with. And how am I experiencing it? And how can I articulate that with an end goal in mind that is supportive of the collective? So to me, I think that that just brings up how important self-awareness is. And when I think about self-awareness, like one of the core things with self-awareness has to do with presence. Um, And so a lot of times when conflict arrives, I feel like usually we're not very present because maybe we're experiencing something physically in our body that's distracting us or we're thinking about the outcomes. So we're in a headspace, or um, we're experiencing a level of fear or distress. And one thing that I think it's really important is just to like, what are your practices and your tools for helping you gain self-awareness? So for me, when you can have those opportunities to practice um, voicing your needs and your values when you, when that safety is built into it, that's how you can actually exercise the muscles to know yourself a little bit more. So I usually like to start with, okay, the better you're going to get at conflict resolution, quote unquote better is when you actually get to have those chances, um, and exchanges when it's not so charged, right? And it's not <laughs> feeling like, um, and then you can see how you experience it. So then you kind of move into a listening state. So you listen to your your body, like what happens to you physically when you feel a sense of stress or anxiety? Do you get the sweaty palms? Do you get loss of breath? Do you feel like you lose your words? You don't even know how to articulate what you're trying to say. So that's listening to self. And then the other thing is really resting into listening to the other. Um, one of my favorite things said from our braver angel friends was we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I think conflict resolution has a lot more to do with listening to self and to other than it does with solving, fixing and speaking.
0: Right. It was fascinating is right after we launched this podcast and we talk about like coming together and conflict was, a piece of that. It it's like all of a sudden conflict was everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that we had to So many work opportunities.
1: With, right? <laughs> yeah, there
0: were so many opportunities. So I'm kind of like almost hearing the same thing. And, and and this is both good and bad, I think. Like as you might start to think about how to manage conflict, you probably will be exposed to a lot of opportunities for conflict. <laughs> um, but I you know it's like I love what you just said there too, in that maybe that is what's good, right? In that we Tend to avoid it. Most people don't like conflict. Our brain is not wired to like conflict. But if you can instead push in and work on the conflicts that are not that hard, like, hey, you know, you said this just a little bit, you know, I would prefer this, you know, like maybe play out an example of what a minor conflict would be. But rather than dismissing it, it is more about embracing it, leaning in, learning how to train your brain, not letting the emotional brain take over, but embodying a better practice with it, so that when there is a hard conflict that you really need your skills to be um, most present with, uh, skills like listening, then you've you've kind of worked out a lot of wins prior to that happening.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people may even be asking, well, how do I know what's a hard conflict or an easy conflict? Like, I think if you're really even just starting out, or I mean, we've all been exposed to it, but maybe you didn't get as much practice with it as a weekly. Uh, family meeting, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, then I think one of the questions you can ask yourself is, and we say this a lot, like what's the worst case scenario? And if the worst case scenario, when you drop into that place, tends to not make you so afraid or anxious, then that might be considered an easier, safer conflict to start with. But if the worst case scenario is I feel like I could lose my job and therefore I will not be able to get my bills met or I feel like I could lose a friendship that's really valuable to me because I don't feel resourced with the language to articulate what need I'm having right now, then that's a good way to be able to understand where on the spectrum is this conflict, whether it's easy or hard. And a lot of times what's challenging is that an easy Conflict for you may be a hard conflict for the other. Yep. Yep. And you just won't know. But what we can do is we can start with that self awareness. And I I found that asking myself that question was really helpful. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, one thing that I've kind of presented up to this point is when I have conflict with someone else, it's, I think, also good to talk through what happens when someone brings conflict to you. Right. So, and then maybe you're caught off guard or you didn't know that you were offending. in a, in a situation. I know for me, a practice with that is just assuming that no matter what I ha- if there is a conflict, I have a fault in it, you know, so to what does it look like to, to build into a habit of identifying and owning pieces of conflicts? Cause that's whether I'm bringing the conflict to somebody else or someone else is bringing it to me. That's an, I think, another pause moment. It's like, okay, what did I really do? And there's always something like even if the other person feels like they're the most at fault, when I when I do the honest work of what could I have done better or what um, should I have done better, I can always find something that I I did that was offensive. So that's that's been another like kind of a tool that has helped me put in a little bit more of a mindful practice to the to conflict.
1: Yeah, and I I would say that maybe it's not fault but just a role.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah.
1: And that that's like the shift from into the generous perspective, because we talk about it a lot, but we also need to give ourselves a generous perspective, too, and feel like, okay, yes, I have a role in this, but not necessarily assuming fault and also not dishing out fault. Right. Right. And, yeah, I love that. I think that that's so important. And another thing I think is like some of the tangible things I think about is just like when so much of conflict feels intangible, like what can we control? Because I think that one of the big fears is like you have no control over the outcome or it feels like you may not have control. So a lot of responses like defensiveness and anger and shutting down are all coming from that place of, of not having control. And so some of the things that I like to do is, okay, what are the elements that I can control? And that usually has to do with the environment. So I actually like to bring, in the past, I've brought a lot of ceremony to conflict. One of the things that I would do when I was feeling like I was in a mediating role in management is I would actually make sure that conflict conversations or challenging conversations were had in the same place. So there was a little bit of anticipation so that they could feel there was actually some predictability to it. Another thing that I would do is I would actually, I mean, I happened to work at a tea company at the time, so I just made this up, but I also think that we talk about beverage being really valuable where it it softens people and it, it um, lets people drop in because there's like a sensory experience and I would actually have them pour each other's tea (laughs) Uh (laughs) to do an act of service for one another to realize that they were coming from a common place i mean now that i think about it it's like okay they're extending generosity of some type and so those were those were like two of the most important things that i would do that i feel like was easy to instill as, as a manager and a leader because i was like okay i'm i get to have. A little bit of control over the situation. But I, I ask myself a lot of times, how do I bring that into like my personal environments? And I think that like, you, we could all think of it as like, we have conversations in person, not over text, right? Maybe not even on the phone. So that can actually be the tangible environment that is, that is important. And another thing actually comes up for me is that I have this rule that if you ask someone that you want to talk about something you actually give context for it prior so you don't leave it open-ended because right. i have so many i've told you this before david i've had so many people say hey can i talk to you tomorrow and for me my <laughs> immediate thing was like oh shit right. they're gonna quit right. right because nine times out of ten they quit or um or they broke up with you or you made them mad or whatever it may be or you made up a story and it ended up being none of that and you just spent all that time prior without any context and we all just get lost in these stories. So um, as we were talking, I realized that's actually another really important thing I think is to not just prepare the environment, but be explicit with the goal.
0: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the things that you just said too are so deescalating, right? So like when we don't control something, then, then that forces us to like, Try to control the next thing, which we can't do. Right. But then it only forces the next person to try to control the next thing that they can't do, and then it just it just keeps ramping up. And so even going back to like, okay, what can I own? What can I Mm. assume in my role is in a conflict that has naturally de escalated because the natural pattern has been, well, the other I'm going to ramp up, and then you're going to ramp up, and then all of a sudden when I don't ramp up to follow. And I ramp down, it kind of invites the next other person to come down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so there's like this theme of de-escalation, I think, in all the things that you said. Um, the other thing that I think is fascinating, when you started to talk about ceremony, you described something. I, I thought you were going to go somewhere else with it. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you were going to go to the end. And I think that mm-hmm. this could be really cool too. So you talked about like, you know, setting the environment and, um, I, and I loved that. I love the idea of pouring someone's tea. I mean, what a way to show servant hood kind of in, in this moment to deescalate. I think that's super beautiful. But then I do think as a society, we don't do a good job of celebrating wins that are small. Yeah. And so, you know, again, like even just thinking about positive behavior and reinforcement to have ceremony over conflicts like, okay, so, you know, you and I just had this conflict. Let's go grab a a cup of tea to celebrate. Um, I thought that's where you're going to go with it. But cause I think that that would also be a really beautiful moment of ceremony that could help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that in order to be able to celebrate, it's about being able to get to a place where it feels like, how do you define what feels like, It was productive for each party. And so that can be a little bit more gray and challenging. And maybe someone feels at the end that, yes, like, oh, what felt productive to me was I got my way. Right. Um, And I think that a lot of times conflict is resolved in a certain way where it's actually in the favor of one or the other. And people may walk away actually not feeling like their needs were met. So being able to really bring in this commonality where what is the underlying need that someone is having at that time that is not getting met, that is resulting in the emotions or the example, then you can walk away with seeing that you actually did have a shared productive result. Yeah, And it is so important to reflect back on it and to celebrate it because otherwise the buildup and the conversation or the conflict like outweighs the result or the resolve. And you're so right that we celebrate all of that buildup and anxiety and tension rather than the, maybe what feels like the 10% of relief or connection.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to even just, reflect on if I have had any moments of celebration and I can, you know, I can visualize and remember physically hugging someone that was like, wow, we, we went into a depth. It was really difficult, but you know, there was this embrace to to say, no, I really love you. So I think for me too, it's like those memories don't get to be very sticky. So I can feel it in my body that I've done that in the past. I cannot visualize that happening specific with any specific person. So it's like pausing then to, to like make that memory last, I think is good, but yeah,
1: that's cool. I think a lot of times for me, it's the, even just the times that I felt resolved is that um, maybe it's built up to actually just expressing myself authentically and that I just needed to be heard. Mm -hmm. Actually, if there was no fixing or anything from that, that would feel productive to me. So it was like having a space to just like, which looks like for me a lot of times building up to like a big cry and then the feeling you get after a good cry, I'm like, oh, like that (laughs) in itself actually feels good. And that I just got to say something out loud. I actually don't need you to fix it or I don't need this to be fixed. Like I just needed someone to hear me and I can do my own work from there.
0: Yeah. Well, that definitely could be a whole nother episode that I could use and how to not fix people because that's usually my default. But
1: oh, I'm a fixer too. <laughs> but it's so funny because when you said you were like, it ended in a hug, I was like, I don't want to end it in a hug. I probably, <laughs> I probably would have, you know, five years ago, but lately I'm like, just I'm good now. Yeah. Like I yeah. feel light. Um, yeah. So I think that it, but it's so important. Is I love that you're talking about it in a body centered place where it's like, oh, this is maybe I don't actually remember like what the conflict wo- was and the words works. I think that that's just right normal, right. um, because of what's happening in your body and with your hormones and all of that. But if we could celebrate more and more those moments where you're like, oh, what does that, what does that come down feel like? What does that relief feel like?
0: Yeah. Well, I think just like a lot of aspects of the third place, the conflict space is a sacred space. So that that messy middle gray that we talk about so often, this conflict certainly lives in that space, and and I think there's a beauty and sacredness to it. So,
1: yeah, yeah. Someone the other day said when I told them about the messy gray, uh, she said. It's a rainbow bridge instead of gray, <laughs> and so more and more I've been thinking maybe the evolution is mm. moving from gray into a prism of colors. Yeah, I
0: like it. <laughs> I like it. I won't. I won't go into the science of colors right now, but gray is just a combination of all the I, colors,
1: right? <laughs> so we're saying the same thing. Yep, yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: It's beautiful. Okay. Thanks, David. You're welcome.
1: Be well. Uh...